Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, in which we learn about the people that are on the front lines delivering and protecting patient care. I'm Ed Gaudet, the host of our program, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Renee Broadbent, the CIO at Sone Health, and also the president of the New England Hymns Chapter. Welcome, Renee. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here today and talk about why risk never sleeps. <laughs> Already. That's great. Have you listened to the podcast at all? Or I have. These yeah. sorts of oh, things cool. are great for people. They're short, they're informative, mm-hmm. get some great lessons out of them, learn from different leaders and what they're up against or what mm-hmm. they've done to solve complex problems. So I think it's definitely worth your time. Yeah, also, great. podcasts are fun because you can listen to them in your car. That's true. Yeah. It's a little bit of a meta ad for the Risk Never Sues podcast. I love it. Yeah, there you go. So tell us about your current role and your current health system. So I actually work for Southern New England Healthcare Organization or Sone Health. We're actually a clinically integrated network and an accountable care organization. So not necessarily hospital-based. So we manage a multitude of risk-based contracts, including MSSP for our providers in our network, as well as our patients in our network. Right now, we have roughly 600 different providers in specialty and primary care, and we manage you know over 100,000 patient lives. So my role there is I have a couple of different roles. I'm the chief information officer. I am the chief information security officer. And now more recently, I have become the compliance and privacy officer. I was kidding with my staff when we were doing the signature line. I should just put chief and then list all the things out, colon and everything else. So (laughs) we are responsible for managing quite a bit of protected health information because that data is used to help manage patients and risk and quality metrics and things like that. So security and protection of that data and use of that data is super important to us. Yeah, interesting. And so how did you get into healthcare? I went and looked at your background. You've had a lot of experience at places like Bay State, Yale, UMass, Memorial. So it looks like you started out in healthcare, is that? Yeah. So like probably you didn't go all the way down, but Uh, on my LinkedIn profile, but you know, actually when I got out of college, I was a sociology major and I started in insurance uh, and I was doing business analysis and project management. And the company that I was with, a manager had left and gone to Bay State. And he said, oh, you know, I could really use a good project manager and a business analyst over here in healthcare because they don't really have any structured methodologies and processes. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I can't really hire you as an employee, but I can hire you as a consultant. And I'm like, I was, I don't know, 28. I was like, sure, I don't care. Who needs health insurance, right? So I took it. And once I got there, I really realized that healthcare was the place that I wanted to be. I looked around and what he said partially was true, right? There was a lot of things that weren't managed effectively. Um, You know, they would release changes into production without testing them, as an example. That's not a slight on that. It's just where healthcare was at that time. They didn't have a lot of structured methodologies. And from an industry perspective, they're behind between, you know, banking and in all these other industries. And to some extent, that still exists. But I was fascinated by it. I also, as who I am as a person, I enjoy the idea of doing something for the bigger cause, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's taking care of patients because that is the heart of no matter what your job is in healthcare is to facilitate that care. Yeah, that's what I love about healthcare, that shared mission that yep. you don't have in any other industry. And I can tell pretty much anybody that I meet, including my parents, that what I do and why we do it in healthcare, and they, they understand it because everyone's a patient or everyone yep. knows a patient or is caring for a patient at some level. What are your top three priorities or strategic initiatives over the next couple of months or years there? 
One of the things that we do is we're pretty structured, right? So we have an audit and compliance committee that I report into and give updates and keep them focused and all that. We have a pretty tight security strategy that we constantly meet and evolve. And so some of the things that I'm going to definitely be focused on is our annual external audit. So I have an independent auditor come in, do a HIPAA and a ransomware assessment completely independent. I think that's the best way to do it. And as I explained to the executive team, I'm like, I don't care if they find things. I want them to find things so that I know what I have to fix. So focusing on an external audit, improving our enhancing our education. We have an automated tool. We're incorporating some additional thing around digital health, around compliance and that to get people more aware, improving in our phishing education. Really, that's your key, right, is to get employees really in touch with what's going on. Potentially exploring high trust. I am a high trust assessor. I'm certified. That was a a legacy from a job prior to Sone. I've maintained my license. Primarily, that helps me when dealing with external vendors, which we deal a lot with for third party, and really understanding what I need them to do to be more secure in protecting our data that we send to them. So maybe focusing on those three areas. Got it. How do you think we're doing as an industry post-pandemic? I think, okay. Certainly, I think, you know, healthcare certainly is the primary target for a data breach because of the plethora of data and the richness of the data and what you can do with it. However, I think because of what we had to do during the pandemic, I think it made us have a heightened awareness about what we shouldn't be doing and what we need to do to protect data even further. So I think post-pandemic, you can see that the ransomware and the other attacks are on the increase, but I also think people are more aware of it and we're taking more proactive stances to try to prevent it. Yeah. That's great. I'm not sure we're winning the battle, but I see that people are more aware of it than they were before. Yeah. And I think we're also more aware of the importance of being resilient, right? So that ability to recover is much more important than I think it's ever been. In particular, because if you do get hit with a ransomware, which most people, you know, at some point will, then it's not so much whether or not you can respond to it. The question really is, can you recover from it? And how quickly can you recover to continue operations? Yeah, I just did a panel discussion for the HIMSS national event. They had a cybersecurity forum in Boston like two mm-hmm. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about this very similar thing that is what is the resilience of it? Like how fast can you recover? And it was interesting because we were having a conversation about it. And there were some statistics and I can't remember, so I don't want to misquote, but it was all about who is forthcoming when they had a ransomware attack. Like if you kind of go with the cloak and dagger thing, that you're more likely to get hit with penalties. You're more likely to have issues in the long run where the organizations that came forth and were very transparent parent about what happened, what they were doing to remedy with it, fared better for them in the long run. So that's just sort of something to think about. So we're having an extensive conversation regarding that. Yeah, no, really interesting. And let's kind of switch topics a little and talk sure. more about the New England HIMSS chapter. Sure. And your membership and what are the strategic initiatives imperatives for the chapter over the next year that you're leading? So HIMSS is the second largest chapter. New England is the second largest chapter in the country by virtue of the fact that we have six states in New England. Some of the other chapters are big and it's just like one part of a state. So it's kind of funny when you think about it. So our goal is to deliver quality webinars, seminars, in-person events. Now we're, we're this year's our first year since the pandemic that we're fully in-person for all of our okay. events versus like Zoom sessions and things like that. And so what we're really focusing on now is digital digital health and AI. We have a security forum. We have an advocacy event. And we, of course, we have our annual event. And our annual event, we're starting to formulate because that's usually in May of each year. So we're starting to plan for that. And I think we're going to be talking and focusing on emerging technologies. And so that's kind of a general theme. And with that will come like, well, what do we have to say about emerging technologies? Are we going to focus on population health? Are we going to focus on security related to those Mm -hmm. things? 
We also do some other events, which I think are interesting to talk about. And that is we have a very active mentorship program, one mm-hmm. of the best in the country. Um, in fact, I'm a mentor to two mentees this year. We have more applications than we can fill or pre people to help with. So we do a lot of that. We also do a lot in conjunction with our student activities. We do what we call an after dark series, which we do resume writing. And, and we have people from beginning to mid-career mm-hmm. to changing careers. So we do an in-person event. And I think one of the things that our members and our vendors who actually participate really enjoy is we do top-notch events. We allow for ample networking for folks. So I really do think it's a great organization. You know, if you're an individual member, it's super cheap to join. And, you know, if your, your organization doesn't pay for it and the events are priced very inexpensively. I mean, we have some events that only, you know, only cost $20 to go to, mm-hmm. right? I mean, some of our events offer CE. So if you have a role that requires that you have some ongoing credits, we do have a couple of events that support that. So mm-hmm. our goal is to bring the best value to a very large membership that has a bunch of diverse interests in healthcare IT. In how big is the membership and is it growing? Is it? Yeah, we probably across the New England states have just over 3,000 members. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. 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 And it goes up and down. You know, a lot of it, I will tell you, fluxes with the larger systems, you know, the hospitals and stuff like that and what they have available for funds for training and things like that. And that can influence whether or not they stay. But that's why I offer the individual memberships, because really it's like thirty nine dollars a year. It's it's a no brainer. And how can people get involved for listeners? Where can listeners go to learn more? Yeah, look up New England Hymns Chapter. Right now, our website's going under a massive upgrade through National. So the website is not up, which is unfortunate. It was supposed to be ready last week, but we found a few things that need to be fixed. But look up the New England Chapter, go to our website. In there, we have volunteering opportunities. We have opportunities to get involved on committees. We have a number of committees ranging from MARCOM, which is Marketing Communications. That's your jam, you know, and you want to do something with that. We have student activities. We have programs, which is kind of the baseline of how we get all of our things situated for the year. We have mentorship. We have advocacy. We have a scholarship committee because we actually give out a $5,000 scholarship to somebody every year at our annual event. So there's a million different ways you can get involved. We always welcome new committee members, the more the merrier, because there's a job to do for everybody. That's great. That's terrific. Going back to your day job, what keeps you up at night? I imagine a lot of things, but... <laughs> everything. Everything keeps me up at night. You know, I guess the thing that keeps me up at night is I'm a person on a personal level. It likes to have all my ducks in a row, likes mm-hmm. to have everything in control and know where all the, you know, where to have my hand and everything. Right. And I think with the way healthcare is, it's growing, it's fast, the data pieces, the regulatory pieces, the changes in technology, all of that evolves so quickly in trying to line up all those pieces. And you kind of always lay there and wonder, like, did I do everything that I could? Do I know everything I'm supposed to know? Did I forget something? Did I say something that wasn't the right thing? Do we have enough endpoint protection? So I think about all the data that I have all the time and that it's my responsibility and my teams to make sure, and I have a small team, to make sure we are leveraging all the technology we have to secure it, but also to just to be on the lookout for anything that might cause us to have any sort of reputational disruption to our organization and to our patients. No, that makes sense. Last couple of years, really hard for folks given the pandemic. What are you personally or professionally most proud of? What am I personally and most professionally proud of in my organization, do you think? Yeah, or it could be anything. Yeah. Well, personally, the most personally is getting my daughter out of law school, finally. Um, <laughs> I, I have three daughters, so I... <laughs> yeah. No, no, she's a, she's she's an attorney, so That's it's awesome. great. But it's a spot for kids. Yeah, it's a spot. I have twins, actually, so oh, it's gee. a spot for them. Yeah, boy to cross. And I think for me... I enjoy doing what I do. I made a decision a long time ago that I was going to try to track to the CIO position. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things in the last year, 
thing I was most proud of in my organization is because I believe so much in security, I have really elevated it in our organization. Mm -hmm. We have one of the best security, I think, strategic plans as well as implemented plans and is best a place that I've been to, even though certain things keep me up at night and, you know, I worry. I think our plan is really, really good. And the other thing is, too, is that we implemented security awareness training. And you know how crazy and Mm -hmm. sometimes boring that could be. But we have, we got a great tool. It's very effective. I even send messages out on behalf of the organization as the CIO. And I get people, did you really send this or is this phishing? And I'm like, this makes my heart go (laughs) pitter-patter that you actually (laughs) are doing that, right? That you're getting it. And people coming back and going, hey, you know, I know we take all this training for work. But I've actually started taking and looking at my personal stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And it's helping me at home, like decide if I've got a phishing email from someone I do business with. So I think getting people really aware and making security fun, like we have a contest going on culminating in October where our particular tool does vignettes that they run like a Netflix series, right? And we release a new series, there's five seasons and then people take quizzes and the person who wins the most, the top three, they're going to get prizes. So Oh, that's great. Yeah, Yeah, it's the engagement level. People seem to really be doing that. And so my team worked really, really hard to really get this going. And so I'm very proud that we met that goal. And it's so important. And people sometimes overlook training, but it's the linchpin, I think, for a great security program. It is. And, you know, the reality is we are a business associate under HIPAA and we are required to comply. And training is one of the key tenants of that. And when I first started out in security, right, training was so boring. It was like go to a classroom, read the policies and procedures like, okay. And now we have all these great online tools like our program and they're relatively cost efficient and they actually leverage a lot. And, you know, if you've ever been subject to an investigation by the OCR, which I have, having evidence of, hey, look at, we've done everything we can. We have a five-step plan. We do these things, I think is really important. And we also, because we deal with a lot of payers and also deal with vendors, we have to have some pretty stringent guidelines for our third parties to be able, because sometimes they get that data and do things with it, like run reports and all that. So the work we've put in doing this, we now, um, when we're negotiating contracts with our payers, for example, our security is good. And so is some of the best that they see. And so they're not as stringent in their work saying like, oh, you got to do all these other things. So we made some great strides there. Yeah, excellent. Outside of healthcare and IT, Mm -hmm. what would you be doing? So I like to practice yoga and fun fact, I am a certified meditation coach. I did go for a certification. Yeah, mostly for myself. I tried to practice more holistic things. So Mm -hmm. I thought meditation would do that. I'm also a professor at Southern New Hampshire University. So I'm an adjunct. Actually, I'm teaching or doing a capstone this session for students graduating from the university. But I also teach data and analytics and leadership and training, depending upon what's available and who they need. I am a diehard beach person. I often will tease my children and say, you are my dream beach house based on the money I've invested. And not just any beach house, but one that opens up onto the beach. I've recently, much to torture myself, taken up golf again. I golfed early on in my career and I gave it up. My husband's an avid golfer, so I thought this would be fun. I'm not sure that I'm accomplishing that goal, but it's a goal. And I have a yellow lab named Bailey. She's my buddy and I like hanging out with her. But I do try to spend as much time. We have a small family, so I try to spend as much time with them as possible. Yeah, no, that's great. Have you ever been to the Connecticut coast, in particular Hawks Nest Beach? You ever been on a... No, I haven't, but so I... Well, so I'm a diehard Maine person, right? Growing Uh, up, we took the 
kids and all the other stuff, right? But Maine has gotten to be, I love it up there. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. It's just the, the travel time. And so one of our kids went to the University of Rhode Island and actually she lives there. She's the attorney. And so I started going down to Rhode Island beaches because for my house in Longmeadow, it's only like 75 miles, right? Yeah. So it's much, and plus you can go backwards. It's a much easier trip. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've gone through Stonington and uh, Weekapog and, and all that. And yeah. so I spent some time down there this summer. So yeah, yeah it's an easy day trip and all that. So it's, a, it's beautiful. And Westerly. Yeah. And yeah, it was pretty, yeah, Westerly pretty, is where we were there. It's beautiful. Yeah, so. yeah. And I had the recent experience. I was staying down in Westerly for a couple of weeks at a house down there. And we went to the Ocean House. And you know what? I got to see Taylor Swift's house. Okay, so this was a big thing to take a picture of <laughs> her house from the veranda, right? <laughs> so, very cool. But yeah, no, no, it's, it's very nice down did there. Did you go to the concert? I did not. Uh, One of my kids did, though. Oh, my daughter right. did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 I passed on the concert. Oh, okay. If you could go back in time, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Don't go into healthcare. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> what would I tell my 20-year-old self? That it's going to be okay, that things are going to happen and they're going to make you unsettled, but everything works out the way it's supposed to. I love that answer. Yeah, I often hear that. I love that answer. It's so You know what? Because it does. You know, the things that have caused me the most worry have always settled themselves out. And now I approach things so differently. I'm just like, okay, it'll work itself out. It's meant to be. And well, if there's a way out, there's an answer for everything. So I'm sure the meditation helps too. You know, believe it or not, (laughs) it actually does. One of the biggest focuses in meditation is living in the moment. And we don't do that as a society where like, oh my God, what about down the road, down the road, down the road, and really just stopping and enjoying because you rob yourself of that joy by always worrying about what's going on. Absolutely. No, being present is such a it's yep. so hard to do. It sounds so easy to do, but it's not. It's so hard to do. It's totally so hard, but yeah. you got to, if you practice, you can yeah. get to it. You have to do yeah. it. Yeah. So, this is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. What is the riskiest thing you've ever done? Okay. Like, I am the person who jumps off the wedge without the parachute and goes, Yeah, it'll all work out. <laughs> so, I think that the riskiest thing that I ever did was a career saying, right? Mm -hmm. So I had a really good job and I liked it, but I used to sit next to a colleague of mine when I was in insurance saying, I want to open my own company. I'm just going to open my own consulting company. I'm going to do it someday. And I had a really good job. And then he was working there. We were building something and he's like, let's just open a company. I'm like, okay. So I had two little kids, a house. My husband's like, are you, uh, really? And I'm like, yeah, I, I can do it. And like the first month after I left my job, I'm like, oh my God, what the heck was I thinking? But you know what? We worked hard and it was successful. So mm-hmm. it provided a good living. And then after that, you know, I went back to working in, you know, more, more structured industry, but I did it for yeah. about seven or eight years. It was pretty successful. I enjoyed it, but I did kind of jump off pretty quick without really thinking a lot about it. <laughs> Yeah, those were always fun moments, though. You learn so much about yourself and yeah, what you're able yeah. to do. And yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. Any yep. last parting comments or advice you can give to people that are maybe entering healthcare or, or IT or cyber? I think it's a great field. I think the opportunities are limitless. I think that you could decide so many different venues. So you could go into just the data side of it, like getting the data and understanding the data and all that, and then figuring out how to protect the data. I think it's a great career. I have steered one of my children in that direction, a little bit of a different flavor on it. And I mentor several students through HIMSS that are deciding, do I want to be a project manager? Do I want to do security? Do whatever. And we go through a series of process, but it's never a bad choice. I think that healthcare itself needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. I have days where I don't know if we're doing better or worse than we were a year ago in terms of cost and access. 
and I'm trying to shift a little bit there myself, but one of the areas I really focus on because there is a way to fix this is making healthcare more equitable for people, mm-hmm. right? So not everybody has the same access to the same quality care. And what are the ways that technology can safely and securely get that data or get that access to that person? Yeah. It's a big problem. Obviously the cost structure is going through a, yeah. going through a process. So, and it's a bit cathartic, obviously, for everybody involved, but the equity issue is a big issue and we have to address it. Yeah. And if you look at certain populations that don't have access to just say like wellness visits, right, right then they have higher rates of diabetes, cholesterol, CHF, you know, that yeah. breast cancer, colon cancer, you name them, they've got it, right? But how can technology help do that safely and security? You know, there's digital opportunities, you know, to deliver that in a way that can makes it more accessible. So if I was going back, I think I would really focus in that area because you could do so many different things. You could work with the data, you could work with the data securely, and you could help the patient, which is really what we're all here for. That's a great way to end. Thank you, Renee, so much for joining the podcast. This is Ed Gaudet from the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. If you're on the front lines protecting patient safety and delivering patient care, remember to stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T.com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet, and until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps.